Hi there, and welcome to RCR's In the Room With, our new video interview series talking with entertainment professionals about their careers and what they've learned along the way to get in the room. I'm Stephanie Pache, editor and publisher of RCR News Media, and I'm joined today with my co-host, Jordan Aquino, who's an actor and host of New Mexico Women in Films, Ready, Set, Film, New Mexico, a digital video series that you can catch on Instagram and um, their social media channels. Today, we're speaking with the lovely Rebecca Metz. How are you? Uh, how I'm you well, I'm okay. well. My, hey, my husband, I just want you to know you're on camera for this interview if you want to be. Oh. <laughs> Did he say no autographs? He, yes, he's very strict. He has a strict control on his publicity. Um, I, I'm well. <laughs> so good. It's, it's a little different interviewing you off the red carpet, which we have done a number of times. Yes. Um, and so now we get to really have a good conversation without a thousand other conversations happening around us. And I'm wearing much more comfortable shoes. Oh, even better. Yes. <laughs> So now you can't run away from us. Oh, maybe you can run away from us. <laughs> I could, I could, but I don't need to because I'm happy and comfortable and sitting down and I have everything I need. Perfect. All right, thanks. I think um, Jordan would like to start off with a question or two for you. Uh, the other interview she did, uh, yes, uh, two days ago was she had a thousand questions, but you know, we, we got through uh -huh. those really quickly. Okay, great, 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 great. <laughs> Shorten the list. Just speed round. Exactly. Oh, awesome. Well, it's <clears throat> wonderful to meet you. Um, and my first question is, what inspired you to become an actress? Um, I don't know, honestly. It wasn't like a light bulb. I saw a thing and a light bulb went off. I think it was more like uh, a series of experiences that made me slowly realize this is who I already was, if that makes sense. Like, I talked about the Muppet Show. I talked about my parents were both are both classically trained singers, so I grew up with a lot of arts in the house and a lot of performance and going to a lot of concerts and theater and all that kind of thing. But I don't think I can't. There's nothing I can point to that goes, I have I am inspired now to be a performer. I think it was just the mo one moment that I can point to is being a little kid and watching the Muppet Show and seeing all the Muppets backstage like running around trying to make things look cool on stage and going like I think those are my people I think that's where I'm supposed to be that's mm -hmm. the closest to a moment of inspiration I could come up with gotcha so you're a theater kid born and bred it sounds yes indeed very cool can you talk about your training I read that you went to Carnegie Mellon and your parents are both performers can you talk about your background in training mm-hmm um I mean, I did, I'll go, oh, I guess start from the beginning. You know, my parents are both in music and so I started early. I wanted to take singing lessons and my dad, I think wisely someone told him that for little kids singing lessons are music lessons because there's no point in training a voice that's gonna change. So I, uh, I don't want letters from parents if they disagree. <laughs> this is what I did. I took piano lessons. I went to arts camps. You know, I was in every um, like after school play and and just every kind of like artsy program around that I could soak up. I did. I was when my parents uh, chorus did a musical and needed kids. I was in those. When I got to high school, 
there was in my public New Jersey high school district, there was a magnet program with a lot of different disciplines, but I was in the performing arts one. It was called uh, the Fine Performing Arts Center. So for half of every day, my junior and senior year of high school, I bust over to another school and did acting and dance and voice and related classes, which was amazing to get to do that early. And, um, and I think sort of gave me the advantage of being able to like know for sure when it came time to apply for colleges, like, yeah, this is really what I wanna do. And I think I actually could do it. So um, then I, uh, I went to Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, which was the like dream school. That was the one I really, I made my parents take me there in eighth grade to tour the campus after an wow. exhaustive research project. Like I was pretty obsessive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, Carnegie is a old school conservatory program, rigorous, singularly focused, not a lot of other classes for better or worse, better for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then since then I've done improv and voiceover and skill specific training, um, but that was, yeah, that's my training journey. That sounds amazing to me. Just fully <laughs> a lot when I say it all in a row like that. Yeah, it's so cool. I love it. So you grew up in Jersey, you went to school in Pittsburgh. And when you moved, or, or I don't know, you tell me, did you start in New York? Or did you move straight to LA? What was the transition like from school to professional life? I moved straight to LA, having grown up in New Jersey, and, you know, spent tons and tons of time in New York, mm -hmm. um, seeing shows and whatever, it was just like the closest city to me. And so we went all the time. I sort of knew I didn't want to go there, um, partly because I felt like I could always go back. Mm -hmm. You know, it would be easy to go back home. And partly because um, I graduated in the late 90s and I, I wasn't, I could kind of see what I would do in New York theater mm -hmm. and I didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And television was just starting to become what it has become and is continuing to become. And that was really exciting to me. And I'd never been to LA and Carnegie does, um, like a lot of the big conservatory schools does a showcase mm -hmm. in New York. Ours was the first year we kind of raised hell and made them take us to LA also. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, this was a place I'd never been and television was something I'd, I'd never done. And I was just excited by the prospect of doing something different. And so I came right here, right out here after college. Wow, was it a culture shock? What was it like when you got there? It was a weather shock um, in a very good way for, you know, Pittsburgh is a cold city. I love it, but it's cold and this is the opposite. And I've, and I've never, I've never tired of that part of living here. It was a, a bit of a culture shock. Um, took me a few years to sort of get my bearings here and, and figure out, I think if you, I've had this conversation with my dad. I think if you grow up near a city like New York mm -hmm. that defines what a city is for you, you're almost never gonna find that anyplace else. So, so all my life I'd go to other cities and go, this is not, this is not what a city is, <laughs> you know? So it took me a while to learn LA as a city, as a different kind of city and to find my place in it. Wow. So when you moved to LA and you say it, it took you a couple of years to find your footing, did you start working as soon as you got there? What was it like finding representation? Did you take more classes? What was the experience like? I did not start working as soon as I got here and I did not get representation. I didn't get a representation off of the showcase process. I think I could have in New York, but I didn't in LA. 
Um, and I, it took me about four years, I think, to book my first job, which had to do with learning the business stuff, which they really at that time did not teach us the sort of networking. And so we had this, you know, list of hundreds of industry people, casting and managers and agents and whatever who had seen us in the mm-hmm. showcase, but like, then what? <laughs> right. So it took, it took me a good four years. And some of that is just finding a place to live and finding a job and figuring out how to pay the bills and finding a, a you know, some friends. And I joined a theater company and just takes, you know, some time in a brand new place to get your footing, which I think is healthy to do first. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, then I started to learn how to use that base of sort of relationship seeds that I'd established through that showcase process to start actually auditioning. And then you have to get your audition skills sharp because that's sort of a different set of skills than acting skills, which I think a lot of people, you know, don't always realize right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think I started, I booked a few jobs before I found representation, which I think is normal and not what people tell you to expect. So I think that's a big, you know, thing to understand, like much easier to get representation when you can say, Hey, I'm booking stuff already. Do you want some of this money? (laughs) Then, then hi, nothing's happening for me. Can you help me change that? That's a tough (laughs) sell. And then it was slow and steady. I worked full-time day jobs in LA for 17 years before I was able to support myself fully as an actor. Yeah, I so think- overnight, right? <laughs> overnight, yeah, boom. <laughs> well, that's what everyone calls it. They're like, you're an overnight success. It's no, this has been years and years in the making and no amount of schooling can prepare you for that. I went to theater school too and I just had no idea what I was in for until I actually got there. <laughs> and I think they do sometimes try to tell you like, they tried to say that to us, but of course we were all like, mm-hmm, that's how it is for everyone else, but that's not how it'll be for me because <laughs> I'm amazing. And then you get there and it's like, oh, and on the flip side, you know, there are people that I went to school with who did, who came here, blew up at the showcase of this incredible experience. And then everything came crashing down a few years later when no one was paying attention, which I actually think is a harder oh, position wow. to be in because then you have to learn all that stuff without the support of all of your friends around you learning it at the same time. So I think, so one of my uh, professors at Carnegie said like, this is a cycle. Some people come in at the top, some people come in at the bottom. If you stay on it, you're gonna hit every point. It's just a question of where you start and how long it takes you to get all the way around. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I had to learn that stuff early. Mm-hmm. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a marathon that you keep running over and over and over again I can yeah it's it's a crazy industry um Mm -hmm. so what are some of your favorite roles or some of your favorite projects that you've worked on I mean there I feel like I feel like I can kind of appreciate a lot of them for different reasons in in theater um I did a lot of small theater in LA, really fun, mm-hmm. wonderful stuff. There's a company called The Burglars of Ham that I've worked with a bunch that just does funny, weird, dark, strange things. I did a show with them called Land of the Tigers and a musical 
with them called behavior the behavior of Brodus. Um, both were original, so like I've done a fair amount of new plays and got to be part of the development process, which I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, in television, there's Nip Tuck, which is the closest thing to a big break that I ever had and was just like an amazing experience top to bottom and, and sort of changed me in a lot of ways, both from a career standpoint as a, and as an actor. Mm -hmm. um, and then it would be like Shameless is the next one that comes to mind because that was the first time that I got to recur on something enough times that I started to feel like part of the ensemble. You know, it, it, I, for a long, long time, I worked on a lot of amazing shows where I would show up for one or two episodes, mm -hmm. which is wonderful. But uh, now that I can look at it in hindsight, so hard because you're like jumping on a moving train and your whole job is to like not screw it up while you're there and then get out. You know, you don't get to really learn much about the people or how it works or um, you just have to try to find a way to fit into whatever the specific vibe and world and dynamics are on that project, mm -hmm. contribute to it as best you can, and then you're gone. So Shameless was the first time I really got to kind of settle in mm -hmm. and meet people and know them and have them know me and, and start to feel like I belonged, which I, which the longer I'm in this, the more I realize is what I really want out of I, like that feeling of ensemble is my favorite thing about this. Mm -hmm. So that was, I mean, I got it on some, there were other projects I worked on that were wonderful, Nip Tuck and lots of other things, but that was a place where the first time I really got to be like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know everything about this character and I'm gonna learn more with every episode I do. And I'm learning more about these people and they're figuring out what I do well. Right. Um, and then, and then there's Better Things, which is a, a show that I'm still on that's like taken that to a whole new level. Oh yeah, that was one of my questions is what is it like to develop a character over four seasons? Cause I think a lot of new actors, I mean, you hang out in co-star guest, guest star land for a long time. And then what you've prepared for in college was, you know, you do plays, you do yeah. these big arcs. Um, and then you're kind of a gun for hire until you get that part. So what is it like um, being able to develop a character over time? Do you influence the, the story of the show? I mean, how much do the writers take from you? That's, that's a long, lots of questions. No, so. I get it, I get it. And I actually, I was just thinking about this because I was just talking to a friend about, a friend that I've done a lot of theater with in LA about this. And I feel like, you know, with theater, you get a long rehearsal period or at least some rehearsal periods. You get to do a lot of that development work during mm -hmm. rehearsal, learn your lines organically and discover things. And, and I think the big difference, one of the big differences on camera, at least in television, is that there's usually virtually no rehearsal period except to set up camera shots. And so instead of all that work happening at the beginning, it kind of spreads out over the course of your work on the project, whether that's a day, which is a pretty <laughs> tight time to make all those discoveries, or um, you know, if you're lucky enough to recur or be a regular on something over many seasons, you get to discover things. And I think part of that is, I mean, the writer, it's not like the writers are discovering it too, you're discovering it together. And I think the actor does inform the character, not, not in a sort of like, I think she should be a plumber kind of way, but 
but they learn your rhythms they learn your strengths they they try you out in new scenarios if they're good and if you're good you know you you get to kind of discover the character together the the writer like on better things in season two uh my character tressa had a girlfriend and i was like oh i did not know she was a lesbian (laughs) and um (laughs) surprise and i don't know if if Pam Adlon, who is the writer and star and director and showrunner and everything, knew that, my agent was like, I knew that. I was like, how did you know? I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, you, you, and I think it, depending on your process, that can be difficult. I have never been uh, an actor who like writes a whole big backstory mm-hmm. for a character. There are a lot of people who do that and I respect that, but I don't, I like to take it from the text. If it's not in the text, mm-hmm. I don't commit to it unless unless there's some question that I need to come up with an answer to for myself, for my own work. But like, I don't need to know everything about the characters I play right at the beginning. I prefer to learn those things and figure them out either, either because it shows up in a script or because somewhere down the line I go, ah, I think she's got a problem with authority or I think she's got you know mm-hmm. the way you learned about people in life so um I enjoy that process I think for some people you have to have some flexibility built in you may make some decisions or assumptions that later turn out to be wrong mm-hmm. and you just have to kind of roll with it gotcha that's so cool to be discovering things as you go along. And also a little bit terrifying too, but very cool, mostly. <laughs> yeah, but the kind of terrifying we're supposed to be good at, you know, the immediacy of discovering things in the moment. Like it, we all know we're supposed to do that. And it's like, yeah, but if I actually have to do it, that's scary. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that your improv training has helped you a lot with um, with Tressa's character or any character that you've played over a long period of time? I think in general it has. I've taken a bunch of improv classes because I hate it. I love a script. Uh-huh. I don't, I don't want to be, and I don't, you know, when you get up there and you're like, okay, anything could happen. I hate it, but. <laughs> you're a banana. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's a really important skill to have. You know, if, even if you don't want to improvise, I've been on sets where they've been like, let's just do one in your own words for fun. And like, you know, I sort of would go, okay, I need to learn to not freeze in this situation. I need to be able to. And there are some shows, Better Things is one of them, where sometimes you'll just go off and banter. Sometimes they'll just, you know, Pam will just let the scene run and and the characters will just be together. And um, so definitely improv training helps support that just being able to be present in that there's also a um show that i've done a bunch of times at upright citizens brigade here in la called gravid water which is um every show is five scenes each scene has two people in it an actor and an improviser so uh the actor learns memorizes one side of a theater scene they only send you one side mm-hmm. and you go on stage and the improviser has to doesn't know anything about it Uh and as the actor which is what I do I can only say what's there I can only say the lines I've memorized and the improviser is just improvising with me and like 
they don't know where my line stops and starts. They don't know where this is going. If I have, if some, if there's a turn in the scene, I have to find a way to have it make sense based on what they're doing and they don't know. Like it's, it's what acting is supposed to be. You don't know what the person's gonna say next. You have to be motivated to say your next line. But again, it's something that I think often we don't necessarily do. <laughs> and that has helped me a lot, that feeling of like, I really don't know what's about to happen. And I trust that we will get there. That's, I think that's that's a great lesson from improv. Oh yeah, that sounds amazing. Gravid Water? That Gravid Water. I don't know how they got that name. They have it <laughs> in New York and LA when we're allowed to be in theaters together. Um, I miss it a lot. It's a great show. That sounds like an amazing exercise as an actor. It really is. Ooh, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. um, were there any parts of Tressa's character? Oh, I'm going to backpedal here. So were you doing um, Better Things and um, the, I'm blanking on the name, uh, between- Coop and Cammie. Yes, yes. Were you filming those simultaneously? Um, in one season, so season one of Coop and Cammie, season three of Better Things, we were. They overlapped and thank God I had great, producers and and a great agent uh producers on both shows who like worked I can't imagine how much time they spent on the phone figuring out schedules so that I could do both with minimal conflicts mm -hmm. um there were a few days when I went from one to the other and it's like I would be in the car trying to make the character shift the mental shift uh -huh. because one is multi-camera kids comedy what is very grounded single camera grown-ups like right. those those were um yeah it took a little discipline to make <laughs> make that shift and then in season two of Coop and Cammy, season four of better things they really didn't overlap fortunately so I was okay. able to mostly finish Coop and Cammy and then go on to better things which was easier that's yeah. a good problem to have though <laughs> yes uh, we were trying to get me back on shameless in the middle of oh. all that and oh my finally goodness. it was finally it was like <laughs> I don't think this is gonna work <laughs> like I'm so sad I would have loved to do it but that would have been really pulling something off that's crazy that was one mm -hmm. of my questions was stylistically how did you go from you know family sitcom Disney to something that was grounded kind of dramedy how do you change those hats so quickly? Were there certain skills that you fell back on or techniques? I mean, I think again, because my, the way I work is to take everything from the writing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that hard because the writing is completely different. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if I just go to the script, look at my partner, do the basic acting stuff mm -hmm. of listening and being present in the moment, you couldn't do sitcom acting on the set of Better Things. It would be really strange and people would <laughs> right. be like, what, what's happening or vice versa, yeah. you know? Honestly, yeah. it was mostly about remembering which set I was allowed to curse on and which set I wasn't because on one set, there's a lot of cursing and on I the other set, one. there is none. <laughs> so I was like, okay, okay, don't get them, don't get them mixed up. Um, it, I, the fact that I booked Coop and Cammy Ask the World that I became a Disney Channel mom after being on Shameless for three seasons, I was sort of like, what? and after doing Nip Tuck, I sort of said like, you guys have Googled me, right? Like, you, <laughs> you know, they were like, yeah, yeah, it's great. 
okay. Um, but I, I, I think it, for me, it comes from the writing. So it is, uh, that is the support that makes it a little bit easier. That sound is the cat's automatic feeder going off. Sorry about that. <laughs> we like cats. We love cats. Good, good, good. So uh, let me see what else have I got here. Um, what advice do you have for actors who are just kind of at the beginning of their career? I mean, I feel like it's sort of two different sets of advice if you're, they're doing it now. We're in obviously a very strange time, but also times like this happen, whether it's a writer's strike or, you know, it's, it, there's always something. So, you know, that's the thing to know, number one. You're, you always have to be ready to roll with whatever is happening. It could just be a change in trends in the industry, you know. Um, for me, training, it all goes back to training. Have the best possible base of training that you can. I think, I think a lot of people <clears throat> look at acting as like something you can just decide to do one day and show up and start doing it. And certainly lots and lots of people do that, but it's, it's you know, to compete at a professional level, you have to be among the best of the best. And even then there's thousands of those people for every one job. So I think it, it just takes a little humility to understand mm -hmm. that even though it looks easy, it's not actually easy. And so get the best training that you can so that you can, you're not wasting your time or anyone else's time. Um, I think people underestimate how much of being an actor is the business side, the not acting side, the hustling, the, you know, you're running a small business. You have to have a marketing plan and publicity materials and business goals and understand who your audience is. And, you know, I, and I think it takes time to figure all that out for yourself. And I think that's okay. Um, another, probably the one of the biggest things is don't wait for your agent to get you auditions. That's not their job. Uh, you know, actors get stuck. A lot of actors get stuck at the stage where they're just mad that their agent isn't getting them auditions or their manager. And so they keep changing agents and managers and it doesn't get any better anywhere. And they just get mad and never go past that. And the thing, the thing they're, I think, failing to realize is that no agent is going to do that for you in the beginning because that's not their job to do that's your job mm -hmm. to make those casting relationships and to start generating work and auditions for yourself so that other people see you as an actor who is working and want to get on board like i think it was only in the last few maybe a little more than a few at this point but years once i had a big body of work that i started getting auditions with with people i hadn't already met and been you know, postcarding and following up with for a long time. Until then, it was really my own hustling often. My agent pitched me and they certainly, you know, did their part, but they get 10%, I get 90%. So I should be doing 90% of that work. Right. And, and those networking relationships that you build you know, whether it's on set and they're another character, they're a producer, they're a director, whatever, that, you know, working with you and building that relationship can carry on to the next one and open more doors for you. And I think, you know, if I go back and look at all the different shows I've worked on, they can look all over the place to 
to someone from the outside, but I'll look and there are three or four casting offices on that list of shows I've done that are represented five times. You know, there are directors I've worked with multiple times, producers, showrunners I've worked with multiple times. Like if once once you every every time you reach out to someone, every time you work with someone, you're moving that relationship forward. And if you can do it, make it a positive experience, if you can deliver on, you know, what your job is to do there, hope you hopefully you will have more opportunities to work with them. So, you know, the casting director for Shameless also was ER, Southland, called me in probably 15 times for Shameless before I booked the role that I did. Like, those are ongoing, long-term relationships that take time and investment and energy to develop. Right. And because you're building that relationship, you can't be, you know, upset if you don't get that part and you can't let them see that you're really mad at them (laughs) (laughs) you can't yeah because because it's not about that part like when I, I this was a big thing to learn also when I go in for an audition it's not actually about booking that role because I have no control over that and it has probably nothing to do with me you know it, it has to do with a whole bunch of things that they need or they're looking for in this particular instance that are completely out of my control. My job in an audition is to be someone they wanna work with, they wanna see again and wanna work with eventually once we find the right thing. If you can look at it again as a marathon in that long-term view and just go, my job in this moment is to deliver the best work that I can right. and then forget about it. It will pay off eventually, but if you're, judging every audition on whether or not you book the part, you're going to make yourself crazy pretty quick. Right. Well, if you got in the room to audition, they thought you had something to offer anyway, right? Exactly. So it, that's a, that you're already going in with a, a bonus, right? You're already yeah. ahead instead of looking at it as a negative and I didn't get this audition. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the ca- that casting director, John Levy of all the John Wells shows says like, if you're in the room, we want you to book it because then we can go home. Like <laughs> people think of it as an adversarial gatekeeper relationship, but casting wants you to come in, blow them all out of the water and they can be like, amazing, let's move on to the next thing. So like they, they're, they are all rooting for you. Mm-hmm. No one is your adversary, even right. the other actors in that room. Like the women that I have been auditioning along with alongside for years are mm-hmm. friends because it's like, oh yeah, you got this one. That's so cool. You got this one. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's not an adversarial relationship. It's just like, which shirt am I going to wear today? I love all the shirts in my closet. They're not mm-hmm. angry at each other. <laughs> we'll get to them all eventually. That's probably a terrible anal- analogy, but that's what we get I to. I I liked it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Are there any like unwritten rules for professional etiquette? I find that, you know, once you get the job and you've been wanting the job for so long, you get to set and you're in another universe. So mm-hmm. What, what have you got about professionalism and, and building these relationships? I mean, stay out of the way. Don't make a, you know, so again, it's a moving train. It's a very, very special day for you as a guest actor to be there. For them, it is another day at work and they have to make their day and they're behind schedule and they're spending too much money and like, not in a terrible way, but just, you know, don't make it about you. hmm it's not about you. Your job is to serve the project. 
um, you know, don't fawn over the actors. <laughs> Bring don't. your autograph book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, also, also, you know, one thing that I've learned now having worked on roles of varying sizes is that um, like series regulars may, depending on the show, have some flexibility to change a line, to make a suggestion. If you're there for one day, you do not have that flexibility unless there's really an issue, in which case you can ask. You can say, I'm struggling with this, you know, can someone help me? But like a regular can say, can I, I hate this line. Can I say blah, 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 blah. And they will, you know, tell them if they can or they can't. You do not get to do that if you're there for one episode. And I, you know, some people overstep, they try and, you know, I don't know, make themselves seem more important or just serve, serve the project. It's not there to serve you, you're there to serve it. You think this is assumed, you know, that people should know this, but it's not obvious to everyone. So it's really nice to hear from a seasoned professional that this is what you do and this is what you don't do. So, I mean, and most of us do those things, but once in a while you will see someone where you'll be like, wow, <laughs> you really like, I was on a set once with a, an actor who was on one episode and brought her laptop and hid it on the set and between takes was pulling out her laptop and like working on it on the set. She got fired. Um, you know, far be it for me to guess at the psychology behind what people do on set sometimes, but like, don't be weird. That's good advice. Don't be weird. That's great. You have over 50 credits on your IMDb. You've been working for a long time on lots of different projects. How have you seen the industry change, especially now with COVID and everything going virtual? Mm seen an ebb and flow of how the industry works oh yeah I mean you know I remember <laughs> when I first got to LA you know the illegal breakdowns thing we were all getting illegal breakdowns <laughs> I met a woman in a jack-in-the-box in Hollywood she was wearing a disguise like a wig and sunglasses and I slipped her cash under the <laughs> table <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I would get the breakdowns back to me every morning. Like it's just bizarre. And our, you know, our headshots were black and white. And if you had red hair, you had there was a stamp that said redhead that you stamped because oh, wow. because red hair okay. photographed as very dark. Um, like it's just it, hard to believe when I say it, but that is how it was. For a while, I was in a fake management company. Um, so a bunch of actors got together, got a logo, put a name on a management company. We hired a messenger service and every day we all had each other's headshots, hard copy headshots. And we would go through the breakdowns, which we got illegally and, um, <laughs> and email each other in the morning, please submit me for this, submit me for this, submit me for this. And we would stuff the envelopes and drop it off in the messenger service and get it. Like we didn't have representation. So we just became our own manager. Oh. <laughs> it would be harder. I'm sure someone's found a way to do it, but now that it's all online, I imagine it would be harder. Like just, it's just nutty. The stuff when I think about how it's all changed. And now, I mean, I have the same hard copy headshots I've had for probably 
three years because you don't use the. I always bring them to an audition. And I'm like, do you want this? Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Um, obviously, we have color headshots now. Everything is online. And now we're self-taping all of our auditions. So, you know, we've become our own editors, lighting designers, sound designers. You know, I've had... I did an interview for Disney Channel. They sent me like a whole photography package. I have friends who've shot things in their homes where they get like a whole camera and lighting kits. And it's, none of us have ever done anything like this before. <laughs> I'm, I'm so tired of my own face from editing <laughs> so many self-tape auditions. Like I'm gonna be so happy when we get to go into the room and all I have to do is the acting and somebody else gets to like choose which date to send and put it all together. That's gonna to be really nice. Mm -hmm. um, I think I like many, many, many people have turned our focus much more to voiceover in the last year because that never stopped. And so, you know, a good thing that's come out of this is that my voiceover setup both technically at home and business-wise is way better. And that's been really fun to explore. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I can only imagine where it's gonna go from here when I consider where we are today versus, you know, slipping a disguised woman a jack-in-the-box cash under the table for <laughs> Well, you, you absolutely have to be in, innovating the way that you're, you know, especially with changes, you know, a writer strike or, you know, COVID and not let what's happening in the world stop you. Yeah. So if this yeah. is your, this is what you want to do, there is a way. And, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have the internet to, you know, do all the things that you do now. So it's actually easier. Just kidding. Not I'm, in some ways, not you know. In some ways, in some ways, it is. And on the and on the flip side, like I feel like sort of the tail end of the generations of actors who did not assume we had to be ready to make our own YouTube series. Right. Like I think I feel like everyone after me comes out assuming like, oh yeah, I'm going to write and direct and produce my own series, and that's how people are going to know me. And I just sort of go, great. I don't want to i'm sorry <laughs> want to like maybe someday i will but i think it is easier in many ways and harder in many ways because you have to wear so many more hats whether it's creating your own series or like shooting your own auditions at home that's not a thing we used to be able to do right mm -hmm. how have you been uh, spending your time in quarantine what's been keeping you busy well, um, you know, the cats climbing all over everything. They're, they are an endless source of entertainment. <laughs> I'm also a big baker and a cook um, from before all of this. So that is, as soon as this all happened, I sort of knowing myself knew, okay, I have to find ways to stay creative or I'm going to um, lose it pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So lots of cooking and baking. Um, I think we're lucky in LA, we redid our backyard, which we'd been meaning to do for many years. Um, and now it was sort of like, well, if we're gonna be here and not leave, we may as well enjoy being outside. So that took a lot of focus and was a creative process. And, you know, I think we're lucky in LA to be in a place where you can be outside year round. Mm -hmm. So 
spending a lot of time outside gardening, growing our own vegetables, you know, back when we were like, how do we, how do we get groceries? I was like, well, we better plant all our own stuff. Plant pandemic gardens. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Catching up on lots of TV. I've watched all the TV. Ooh, all the TV? Have? What's your favorite? <clears throat> um, outside of stuff you're in. Ted Lasso. I hope we have all watched <gasps> yes. Ted Lasso. Oh my, oh my gosh. Oh. I'm so happy that they have renewed that series. Thank you, Apple. Yes. You're on speaker now because my earbuds. Oh, no problem. Yeah, uh, that I, we even watch in my house if we've had a bad day, we watch five minutes of it just to get over the hump. I mean, because we've watched it through twice and now we're just like little bits and pieces. So we ha- can make it last. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I might go back and rewatch it just because I also, my, my husband and I are always in a looping rewatch of the west wing because like i would put it in the same category as said lasso in that it's a comfort thing i know nothing terrible is going to happen i know i can just sit back and i'm in good hands because everyone involved with it is so wonderful Mm -hmm. um and then also great british baking show is Uh in that category as well so Uh i'm always sort of rewatching something Mm. and then i will try the new thing and Mm -hmm whatever the new show is. And then if I hate it, I can stop and just go back to the things I already know I like. Ah, well, Coach Beard just had a baby in real life over in the UK, his wife, well, not him, but Brendan, from Brendan Ted, Hunt. yeah. He's a theater guy who I have, I met sort of. <laughs> Your props are <laughs> moving. <laughs> um, yeah, an LA theater guy who, is mm-hmm. associator of that show which is so exciting yeah exactly and just, just had a baby and just had a baby yes he's having yeah. a good year he definitely is yeah so wonderful thank you so much for taking time to come on with us today and share your experiences and you know we're excited to see more of you because you're we love you as an actor anyway and your cat of course Thank you. Yeah, so you know. they, I think they assume they will be uh, appearing beside me in any work I'm in from here on out. Well, well I, I think they want a percentage of, you oh, know, definitely. For sure. <laughs> okay. Thank, Thank you, you so again. Much. It was really nice talking with you. It was. It was good to see you again off the red carpet and in the room. Yeah. Indeed. Jordan, uh, nice to meet you. I hope we get to meet in person someday. I hope so. You're lovely and so talented. Oh, thanks. Same. I mean, I haven't seen your work, but I will. Trust me, she she is. I believe it. She is. And she's been in a series that got canceled by Netflix, so she's been that she's been down that road too. Yep. We've all been there. Yep. Okay, stay safe and you, we will too. see you soon. Okay. Take care. Take care. Uh-huh. Bye.